Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. About a month or so ago, now some of you are laughing, uh, one of my sons said, Dad, can I get a fidget spinner? And so I said, what's that? Yeah, like the rest of us, right? And he said, well, um, you spin it in your hand. And I'm like, okay. So we looked online and, and I said, what does it do? It's like that, you know, it's cool. And, and then, uh, so he, I said, yeah, that's awesome. And then I got one too, because I mean, come on, the old man, you know, he's working on his classic hot rod. I got to have a classic fidget spinner, right? You know, um, the reality is uh, generations don't get each other. Right? Can I get a witness on that? Uh, it's easy for us with our generational mindset to have that, what was so popular in the 60s, 70s, a gap, a generation gap. To be able to realize that we are of different generations, and that's a good thing. That's actually an awesome thing. It's something to be valued, something to be appreciated, something to be honored. That one generation would be able to pour into another generation. Culturally speaking, demographically speaking, in the United States, uh, experts have divided groups based on their ages. So they've said that anybody being, you know, born in that, raised in that age where that was like your age before 1945, then you're the builder generation. Uh, you, you, you probably were there. You were in World War II or just, you know, right, maybe not quite old enough to join, but you were part of the builder generation and uh, as I think it was Brokaw said the greatest generation and um, and so so much of the foundation of our own history the last hundred plus years is because of the builder foundation and then the the builders came home from the war you know those GIs they got married and had a lot of babies and they called that the boomers the baby boomers because there were so many of them demographic people were just panicked as all these young people were being born and in that time period the industry of our country and so much of who we are today was being formed and so these baby boomers from 1945 to about 1964 65 somewhere around that and that age group those are the baby boomers and then from 64 65 to about 1980 uh, they call that group of people seriously messed up um (laughs) no no that's my generation that you know originally it was the busters and then uh douglas copeland came out with this fascinating little book called generation x 
And uh, I loved that book because the subtitle was Life Without God. And it was very honest from the Pacific Northwest about what does it mean to not have God in your life? And it was seriously depressing. And so Gen X became this generation. And then uh, finally, about 1980 uh, to probably 2010 or so, uh, they, uh, you know, they said, well, let's call them Generation Y because that comes after X. That was totally not cool. And so they called them snowflake uh, millennials. <laughs> they called them millennials. And uh, so we have these generations, right? So I, I just want to ask you and all honesty, no pointing. How many of you are builders? You're born before 1945. Anybody? Anybody? A couple of you? Awesome. Thank you. Can we give them a hand? Because they did a lot of building. Uh, you were from, you know, that boomer 45 to 64, 65. Anybody? Raise your hand. Excellent. Excellent. Give them a hand too. It's a great generation. All right. Um, I think the greatest generation is mine, you know, 64 to 80. How many uh, Gen X people do we have? Okay, a lot of us. We don't need, we're already egocentric anyway, so we don't need that. Now, um, let's, uh, let's think about millennials. We do have some millennials here. Anybody from, we'll just say 1980 on, okay? All right, we'll politely clap not to offend you and hurt your feelings. Uh, so really good. Awesome. Okay. Now, the reality is everything just being what it is, we're born in our generation, Right? We go to school with people in our generation. We like music of people in our generation, right? I can get a witness. There's just like divides of music. You love it or hate it, you know? Um, we go to college or we start our career with people in our generation. We have kids with people in our generation. We become, oh, maybe empty nesters. We have more time, more disposable income. We retire with people in our generation. We move to Arizona for six months out of the year with people of our generation, right? (laughs) And then we die with people of our generation. And that's the reality of life. We live an existence where if all things are equal, we spend time with people like us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, in the Bible, the Bible mentions this phrase. I found it at least 36 times in the Old Testament from generation to generation. And I like that because it reminds me or causes me to think of two things. One, that life's not just about our generation, that God has been around forever, that 3,000 years ago when the Psalms were written as we're looking through the summer or 2,000 years ago in the Gospels and the, the, the letters in the New Testament were written, God was still working with people of those generations and generation has come and generation has gone and generation will come and generation will go, right? So it's bigger than our generation. It's bigger than us. Uh, but the second thing it causes me to think about and consider is we, in whatever generation we're in, we have a responsibility. We have an obligation. We have an opportunity and a privilege to deliver the goods to the next generation, to tell them about Jesus, to, to, to do something in such a way that our faith is transferred to the next generation. Now, I don't believe it's true that Christianity is one generation away from extinction because it's not in our hands. It's bigger than that. It's God. But I do believe that it's possible to live your generation and die in your generation and never deliver the gospel to another generation. And that would be tragic. That would be absolutely tragic. And God is interested in his people, he calls his children, delivering the goods, the good news about Jesus Christ, the bad news about brokenness and sin, the amazing news about God sending his son to save us and 
reform us and restore us to give us a place in his heart, to give us abundant life, to give us a hope for the future. And if we don't deliver that to the next generation, yeah, two hours, but also to the next, we will have generation gaps, spiritually speaking. And at sunrise, we don't want to have that. We don't want to have spiritual generation gaps. We want to have all the generations, but we don't want to have gaps. We don't want to have suspicion. We don't want to have, you know, this kind of mentality. I hate that kind of music. I don't like those young people. I don't like this. And, you know, we, we have these kind of things where we have a paradigm that says everything in my generation is awesome. What did you, what are you guys smoking over there? You know what I mean? What are you doing? What are you guys, what are you guys a part of? I don't understand it. This is the generation, right? We all think that way. And, and the fact is every generation is thought that way. If we were to get outside of our generation, if we were to see it maybe a little more from God's perspective, from generation to generation, we could develop a heart for all generations. Because that's what God wants in in his church. It's what God wants to deliver the goods, the gospel, this amazing news of Jesus to the communities in which we live across all generations. Now today I want us to take a look at a psalm that really draws this out. Again, that phrase is used a lot, uh, but Psalm 71, if you turn there, uh, I I said this as we started this series, I'm using the NIV because a lot of these psalms I memorized in the NIV. So today as well, we'll be looking at Psalm 71 in the NIV. Now the background for this, the the build up to this is that David is crying out to God. And it's like, well, what else is new, right? That's like so old, David. That's all you do. Well, this is kind of cool because when you think about it, David writes uh, a type of psalm where he cries out to God. It's often called a lamenting psalm. He's in pain. He's in suffer, suffering. We're going to spend a lot of time on that in the coming months on some of the psalms specifically about lament. But the reality is here, David is in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. David is crying out to God. David is in a position where his life is in danger and he's an older person person by this time and what he does is he he tells God about what God has done in his past he's reminding God of how good God has been which is really kind of a cool way to remind himself of it and he says God I don't want my generation to end I'm clinging to you God I still have work to do I hope no matter how old you are you still think And still realize, you still have work to do. God still has an assignment for you. I heard it this way years ago. If you're not dead, you're not done. Really. I mean, if you're not dead, you're not done. I mean, I I spend time with people in hospitals. They're in their hospital bed and they're preaching Jesus, right? If you're not dead, my friends, you're not done. There's no checking out. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. It, It will change, maybe dramatically, But you are still doing the ministry. You're delivering the goods of Jesus, the gospel, this amazing message of life transformation to the generations. And so David's crying out thinking, hey, I think I'm going to die before my time is over. And so I want to, it's a long, you know, long psalm, but I want to just highlight a couple stages that David talks about. First of all, uh, the first two verses set it all up. Look at this. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me me and save me. God, I need you to save me. God, I'm trusting in you. I am holding out all my hope. I have put my hope only in you and you better show up. I like what he says in you. O Lord, I have taken refuge. Again, Psalms are filled with these beautiful pictures, these metaphors uh, of like running to a tower 
and hiding in the tower because the enemy is pressing all around. God, you are my strong tower. Or a feeling like the arrows and the darts of the enemy are coming and holding up a shield and saying, God, you are my shield. You know, you are my shield. You're the one that lifts up my head. God, I'm going to stand on you as a rock, a solid rock of safety because all the water is around me and it's going to overwhelm me and flood me out, but I'm going to stand on a solid rock. So these metaphors are huge, the Psalms. And David says, you have been my refuge. You have been the place I have run to over and over and over again when I have need. Now, in, in our world, in our human nature, we all have refuges. We, we have places we run to. We have people we run to. And David is saying, hey, my refuge has been God. My refuge has been God. Uh, today, our refuges are, you know, really our people, our culture. We run to uh, maybe, you know, people that we think will satisfy us. We find ourselves, as Jerry Maguire said in the movie, you know, you complete me. And it doesn't work like that. We run to people. Uh, we run to possessions. We run to money. We run to things that if we could have that, that would satisfy us, that would fulfill us. That's a refuge. We run to things that, you know, bring us into addiction, alcohol and drugs and things like that. We run to those things as our refuge. We reach for the bottle as our refuge. But it's not really going to satisfy. I mean, it helps for a bit, right? But then it crashes on around us and it fails us in the moment of need. And so David says, I'm declaring, once again, I'm running to you, God. You are my refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. David knows that there's only one person who can deliver the goods, and it's God himself. There's only one person to cry out to. This last week, my wife and I went to Home Depot, and we were purchasing some things. And, uh, you know, and then... We rung it up and my wife said, she's not usually at Home Depot with me. She goes, man, that stuff's expensive. I said, yeah, welcome to Home Depot. And, um, and so we went out uh, and we went out to the vehicle and, and then I thought it does seem kind of expensive. And so I said, let's look at the receipt. And we looked at the receipt and I realized, oh, they double charges on something. So you know what I did? I went to Lowe's and complained. I stood out in front of Lowe's with a picket sign and I yelled at the manager of Lowe's, right? No, I went to Home Depot. Now, why, why didn't I go to Lowe's? Because they don't care. I mean, if I bought it there, they would have. But the only person that could fix my problem was the person at Lowe's, right? I'm at Home Depot. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I do prefer Home Depot, personally speaking. But um, so I went to the customer service and, and she helped me. She goes, Sorry about that. Great. See, David is going to Home Depot to cry out about the problem. David's not crying out to all his friends. David's not lamenting to the community around him. He knows there's only one person that can solve this. So here, here's a thought, my friends. Whatever you're in right now, and some of you are in pretty deep in something, um, there's only one person that can solve that, and that is our Heavenly Father. And so it's good, it's right to cry out to Him and to scream, to cry out loud. His shoulders are big enough, and He loves you. So, so David is crying out to God because he's the only one that can fix it. And then in three little verses, I want to kind of hop through the psalm to show you how David reminds God of God being God of his entire life. And then we'll get to the message. So take a look at this. First of all, in verse six, he says, from birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. So first of all, he says, he goes back to God. I was born into this from my birth. Uh, he talks about this in other Psalms in my mother's womb, literally in Psalm 139, you know, but, but from birth, from birth, 
You've been my God. You, you know, as a little child, as a little infant on my mother's knee, my father taught me about you. From birth, I have relied. As a little kid, I learned to turn to you to take my refuge in you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Think back to your childhood when you were just a little kid. Obviously, not so much an infant, but a little young elementary kid or someone who's just kind of reaching that junior high stage. You're learning so much. You're devouring information. And hopefully you're in a faith community. I know my grandparents, uh, they took us to church. And so I was exposed to this. Anytime we'd be back in Indiana living at their house, I'd go to the church there and I'd hear about Jesus. I wasn't really interested in it. I just thought everybody knew this and this is kind of, you know, your fire insurance. You know, you just go to heaven if you go to church kind of thing, you know. Um, I endured it sometimes, but I learned a lot. And I, I had pictures. I had Bible verses in my head. I had songs in my head. And from, I would say from childhood, I heard about God. There were people actively pouring into me in that generation. And people do that even today here at Sunrise. People pour into the younger generation. They sing songs back in the children's ministry. They pour into them. They read Bible stories. They don't just change diapers and give them little goldfish. You know, they, they, they do this in the name of Jesus. And so some of you have those little ones. Don't stop doing that. David says, when I look back to my life, it started when I was born. And then he jumps up to this next stage of his life when he was a youth. So he's a young man now. We don't know what that means. Maybe, you know, 18, 20. He's a young man. He's he's just really excited. You know, young folks, they have so much energy, so much stamina. They can conquer the world. Since my youth, oh God, you've taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. So when I'm a young man, God, you were actively involved in teaching me. We know he was already writing psalms. He's tending his father's sheep out in the fields. So David already has a a heart. In fact, at that time, a heart after God, a man, a young man after God's own heart. He's a young man, 15, 16, 18, 20, that's passionate about God. And he's pursuing him and God is teaching him. I think about that for me because that's when I came to faith at 15 years old. I came to faith in Jesus Christ because of some youth sponsors at our church who loved me and my sister and brother and told us about Jesus. And it just like it just clicked like the dials of a safe all of a sudden that the right thing just clicked in. It's like I finally get it. And I believed in Jesus Christ. I followed him in that moment. And so for me as a youth, I can I can resonate with this. I just exploded with the Bible and I was reading it and I was studying it. I ended up going to a Christian school in high school just so I could discover more about this. And some of you are in that stage or some of you work with those in that stage. Jeremy, you've got them from all stages, right? You know, you know, and Heather. And it's like, that's exciting because there's so much passion of young people. I was a youth pastor for nine years because I loved seeing what God could do through young people who are on fire for him they'll turn the world upside down they won't clean the room but man they'll tell people about jesus right i love it i love it and then we get to the verse look at this and then david says this even when i am old and gray and i could say that i'm 52 and i have gray some of you maybe go no no you're just a kid well you're older and gray or that's fine none of you have to raise your hand if you're in this category cuz we see it right all right that's right that's what we are old and gray some of us are old and gray that's great he says even when i'm old and gray do not forsake me o god he's crying out you've shown up you've been my solid rock keep showing up for that god save me but look what he says don't forsake me Till I declare your power to the next generation. 
your might to all who are to come. And David hits it right here with the message that I'm not done yet. I don't want to die, God, because there's so much more of you that I need to deliver to the next generation. I want to talk about your power. I want to talk about your might. I want to write about it for David. I want to sing about it. I want to create a psalm book, you know, uh, poetry of, of, of expressions of the heart that talk about you. I still have a song in my heart, God. And I need to sing it, right? I still have a sermon in my soul that I need to preach it. I still have a relationship with a lost person to go build. I still have ministry to do. So God, I don't want to die even when I'm old and gray. All right. Now, too often in our culture and our, our society, we tend to discard people that are old and gray, right? And old and gray people kind of feel like they're not needed anymore. And yet the reality is every generation is valuable in the kingdom of God and necessary. But if we only grow up in our generation, live for our generation, we will die for our generation and never transmit the good news of Jesus throughout our generation. And the reality is you and I need to take this kind of a understanding to heart tonight. And that is whatever generation we're in. Great. It's awesome. That's when we were born. That's what we like. We, we, we kind of wrap ourselves around that. But we have to get out of that and go down the line to a younger generation or up the line to an older generation, right? Every one of us, if we're not dead, we're not done. And I don't know what kind of problems you have right now. Maybe you have tons of health problems. Maybe you got finance problems. Maybe you got marriage problems, relationships problems. I don't know. You got problems. We all got problems. David's got problems. And David's crying out to the one who can answer to solve those problems. But he's reflecting back on how God is good. God has been good. And he says, I just don't want to go before I've finished your work. Uh, I don't have the verse up, but it's, it's, a, it's from the book of Acts. And I think it's 1229. I could hit it wrong. But it's where it says David died and he fulfilled God's purpose for his generation. I love that. I love that. It's a great passage. Somebody afterwards tell me the correct one and I'll write it down myself. But it's like, it's like it just popped in my head. It's like David, he performed God's work in his generation and he died. But you know, we know this. He did a lot more because 3,000 years later, all these generations, he's still performing the work through the words of David. And so you and I have work to do. We have ministry to do. Um, I was watching this video of the, I was going to say the life, but it's really the death of Polycarp, one of the early church fathers. And it's one that stirs my soul, one of the early martyrs for Christ, about 156 AD. And um, when he was supposed to offer incense or basically worship Caesar as Lord, and he said no, uh, they took him by force and they were going to force him to do this. And uh, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you just offer a little bit to Caesar, right? Uh, just say he's Lord. And, you know, but he said this, I love this, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no harm. How could I deny my God? He says, you threaten me with the fires of literally being burned to death. But I'm more concerned about the fires of hell that you're going to go to. I'm like, wow, that's passion. Some of you could sit here and you go, 56 years have I served him. I'm not going to give up on him and his church. Maybe some of you could say 86 years I've served him. David says, I'm old and I'm gray. Don't give up on me even here, God, because I want to do some great work for you. 
uh, when I was a brand new believer in Jesus Christ, uh, as a high school young man, I mean, I didn't know much, but I was hungry. I mean, literally at times. And there was a senior couple. I don't remember their names, but I remember this. Uh, we would drive over to their house and, and the, the wife would make breakfast like bacon and eggs and bacon and eggs and something else with bacon and it was good and there I, we weren't old enough to really enjoy coffee yet so orange juice and whatever but um, a young group of young men would sit around the table and and she made this breakfast for us and then the man would sit down and open the bible now that was awesome now i don't know their names i don't know what they said but i know this i needed that in my life i needed an older couple Someone who is 60 or 70 to grab six or eight young guys in high school. Just punks, you know what I mean? Guys that don't know anything. And say, why don't you come? We'll give you breakfast. Trust me, young guys will say yes to that, okay? Especially if there's bacon, okay? And then just sit down and open the Bible and go through a passage. That was amazing to my faith. Because one, my grandpa was in Indiana, so my surviving grandpa, I didn't get to see him much. And my dad didn't have a lot of spiritual influence in my life. And this, this older couple, these dear saints... We're making us breakfast and giving us the Bible. And that has never left me. That we could do at least that, right? I think about the ministry of what goes on even here at Sunrise. I mean, every Wednesday I drop my sons off to youth group. And my wife and I are usually here together. And I marvel at the young uh, you know, interns that come and help out. And the middle-aged folks that help out. And I think about, uh, I think about people like Dwight. Uh, I mean, Dwight is uh, old and gray. Okay, I'll say that. I love you. Um, but faithfully, absolutely without fail here on Wednesday night, pouring into junior high and high school students. Now, that is cool if you ask me. I think about the Windy Benders who are, I mean, they're like the key part of our youth staff. Steve and Nancy Boycourt. I mean, the Coxes. I think about Mike Carter. I mean, I think about Michelle War. I think about all these people. I know I'm going to forget some, you know, but, but I look at this every week and they, without pay and without a lot of appreciation, spend hours with our teenagers because they want to introduce them to Jesus and be passionate followers of Jesus. And they are faithful. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were there and we saw them honor the graduating seniors. And they had a little banquet and whatever. And, and then each of those youth staff got up and said something of challenge and blessing. And it was so impacting to see this. I don't know where you're pouring in to the next generation. Could be up, could be down. Maybe it is up, that's good too. Maybe it's down. But it is what God wants for you and for me. That you would declare God's goodness, God's power to the next generation. I'm probably thinking right now, as I've heard this a lot, well, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't like bacon. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. You know what I mean? But you'll never conquer those unless you just do it. I'm not asking you to join the youth staff. We already have a great slate of people here. But I'm asking you to join the next generation. To think about what God has put in your life. And give it to someone else. Uh, Dean of Students, a dear friend of mine now throughout the ages of mentor, uh, Rich Rollins. When I showed up to college and, and, you know, 
he kept saying, you need to be discipled and then you need to disciple others. I said, but I don't know what to do. He goes, he said, well, here, James, this is as easy as this. Whatever you've learned, just give to someone else. I'm like, what? I, I don't even know what that is. Well, figure it out, James, and go give it to someone else. And so there wasn't a book. There wasn't a manual. So I just started doing it. I started hanging out with younger folks in college and started pouring my life into them. And that's when I realized, man, I need to start studying the Bible. <laughs> I need to know something, at least one more thing than they do, right? And that was a challenge. And it was the part of my life that took off of discipling other people. So you don't have to know everything. And if you sit here and you think, but I don't have money, that's okay. You don't have to feed them. I don't have space. You don't have your own place. That's fine. You can show up at theirs. You can show up at Starbucks. You know, you can show up at a coffee shop or a breakfast place and just meet with someone. And I, I advocate groups because it's easier that way. Because trust me, there won't be, there'll be a person that won't show up. And if it's just one-on-one, you're eating alone, okay? Um, but just say, hey, I'd like to grab a few of you. Wouldn't it be awesome if, I'm just going to say, some of you senior men would grab some 30-something men. And say, hey, you're probably in this stage with your kids and this and that and, and work and life and everything. Um, I, I, I didn't do it all right, but I'll tell you a few things. Let's Q&A. Let's open the Bible and dig that. Wouldn't that be great? If some of you ladies, some of you senior ladies would say, I want to start a Bible study group. I mean, that's what my mom does. You know, that's what she does. She just, she's like, don't call me a disciple maker. Freaks her out. You know what I mean? But she's one of our best disciple makers. You know, it's like just grab a group of seniors, you know. We, we can't even build rooms big enough for her anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, how many more women do you have this week, mom? Sorry, would you say no? Because we don't have more space, you know? And then they get around and they hang out. And then I walk in and I see multi-race. I see multi-generation in there. And then they're serving and they're doing this. And they're coming to Jesus. They're getting baptized. Like, just do that. Just do that. And you won't be able to do that until you just jump in and do it. And I'm just telling you, you're probably thinking of all the reasons why you couldn't. But you should think about the one reason why you could. And that is that Jesus is going to do it through you. He's going to do it through you. And you don't need all the answers, but you jump in and you learn people's hearts. And you pour into the next generation. Don't just live for your generation. Live for the next generation. Uh, Psalm 145 says this. 145, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. You live in a generation, whatever it is, and may you tell the next generation, its children, of God's mighty acts. May you be the kind of person that doesn't keep quiet about how awesome God has been in your life. You may have only known God for a year, but he's already shown up in your life. You could probably spend a lot of time teaching people what not to do, right? You know, let me teach you how to blow up your life and then let's not do that. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. I love those messages. A lot of people have those stories. That's great. But will you pour your life into the next generation? It was five years ago, my friends, five years ago, September 8th, five years ago that I stood up here on this platform and I handed out batons. Some of you have been around long enough to see these little plastic batons. And I handed out, I was teaching the DNA of leadership. I was trying to tell people why we do what we do at Sunrise from these biblical stories. And one was Elijah, Elisha, you know, Moses, Joshua. And it was the idea of passing to the next generation. And I stood up here and said, the whole goal of the race of life is to pass the baton at the right time, right? Don't hold on to it. But to let it go and to run your part of the race as fast as you can, run it strong, run it pure, run it for Jesus, and then hand it off to the next runner. And there's a window, an opportunity, and most pastors never do that. And so I stood up five years ago and I said, in 10 years, 
I will be passing the baton of leadership to the next generation. I mean, I want to stick around. I want to, you know, be an old cantankerous person and cause problems here. That'd be awesome. But, but I want to give it up. I want the next generation to lead it. And I said, that's my job now is to pour into the next generation. I said, I became senior pastor when I was 34 years old. And so if I have 10 years to do this, I need to find a 24 year old person and start spending 10 years with them. And you know, that's what I've been doing. And I love it. I love it. I'm not cool. Obviously not. I don't have all those answers. I get it. I don't have the right haircut. I don't have the right style. You know, that's fine. You know, but I'm pouring into the next generation. Um, And people like Annie. Do you know Annie? Annie's the next generation. She's amazing. She's really smart. She married Taylor. Or Taylor's really smart. He married Annie. I can't figure out some days. You know, Taylor, he preaches for us. He's an amazing young man. And he, he, he just does it. I'm pouring into that generation. They're 20-somethings. You know, one day, in five years, or before then, I'll stand up here and say, hey, I no longer, you know, want to be the, bo- I don't want to be the bottleneck. I want to go, you know, do some other things at sunrise. And so I'm going to pass the baton of leadership off to the next generation. And, and it doesn't mean just I want to teach them things. I want to let them experience it. I don't want to just give them responsibility. I want to give them privileged opportunity to make radical changes. And that is what the next generation does well. Just a little thought here, and I'm going to close with this. Last weekend, I stood up at the Forest Grove campus, and I shared this message with a different twist. And I said, you know, I've really been doing that with Pastor Rudy. Uh, I've become like his spiritual father, and I've poured into him over these years. And uh, as it is often the case, your young folks grow up and they need to move out of the house, right? They need to move out. And Jeremy's going, please, please. No. Heather's going, no. They're my babies, right? And I know they're your babies, but they need to move out when they're 18. Definitely not 25. Got to get them before that, okay? And I said that to the Forest Grove campus, and I made the announcement that as of last week, we are launching the Forest Grove campus out as its own independent campus. Now, here's why. Because they've been a daughter campus to us. But Pastor Rudy has grown so much. He's got his own staff. He's built up his own staff. They're fully funded by their own people. They have their own building now out at the old First Baptist building. And in order for them as a leadership team, our trustees have worked on this for a long time. We are la- we're going to be launching. It's going to take six months or so. But we're going to launch them out and be able to get them to stand on their own two feet so we can then pour into the next generation. Because we need that energy to pour into the next one. And so Forest Grove is kind of shaky as we push the ship out and go, that's okay. That's okay. You're going to be fine. We're pushing a little hard. You got good people out here, but we're going to walk with you through this journey. We'll be like sister churches now. Rudy, you're going to be like my peer. Okay. No longer. I'm not your boss anymore. And so it's good, but that's what the next generation does, right? We give them opportunity, but we give them responsibility. We don't just say it with the words. We give them the keys and we give it over to them. And that's what Sunrise wants to be about is giving it over to the next generation. Now, here's what I'd like to do. Um, my, my message is over, but I want us to pray. Now, this is going to be maybe a little difficult or awkward for some of you. I want you to get up and to move around to people outside your generation. I don't know what that means. Don't look up to someone and go, hey, I need an old person. Anybody here? You know, <laughs> they'll smack you and they should. Okay. 
But find some people, maybe your family, whatever. I would love us to pray for another generation. Maybe you're younger, maybe older. Don't, don't worry about all that. You don't need to know their name and everything. Just pray for them. And so if you're a young generation, pray for those that are in the middle. You know, they have a lot of responsibility. They have a lot of pressure. You know, kids and things like that. Uh, the, the gospel, pray for that to go out there. If you're in the middle, pray for younger, pray for older. I would say maybe some older ones aren't feeling so wanted anymore or needed anymore. They're like in cruising mode. No, that they would ignite with passion for pouring all that God's put into them. And if you're in an older generation, pray for all those because you've walked it. So that's what I want us to do. Then Pastor Aaron will come up with the team and lead us into worship. We'll have communion as we always do afterwards because isn't that what Jesus did for us? He gave us his faith, his life on a cross so that we could continue this message of God's grace to every generation. So as awkward, as weird as this might be, I'm going to ask you to get up. I'm going to ask you to move around. Okay. You don't need to move chairs. Just move to some place and just find some people outside your generation and just pray with them. Aaron, I want you to move over to the end over here and pray with them. It's going to be that easy. Okay. I don't need to tell each of you, call you by name. Heather, I know. So I don't need to sign this. You're old enough to figure it out. Let's just take a minute to pray for that generation for God's blessing and the gospel to go out. So let's do that right now.